This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. As it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. What's going on? Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. Different variations uh, that we're all friends here at the Neutral Zone, Claire, Cameron, and I. And one of the first things I said to one Josh Watson when I heard his voice was, I, we haven't done much talking outside of this platform or discussing uh, the neutral zone. So, And then he told me that he hasn't even been on the uh, neutral zone in a while, which tells me, as his friend, I am not doing a very good job of keeping up with him outside of the neutral zone <laughs> or on it because we just haven't been in the same airspace in the last little while. So, Josh, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing well, uh, doing well. Last time I saw you would have been at your beautiful wedding, which was such a fun time. And uh, yeah, it's been a busy month, almost, I would say. But it's Friday afternoon, we get to talk sports, and it's the weekend after that. So looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. And uh, that wedding you speak of is already coming up to uh, a month tomorrow if you're listening to the live broadcast at, on Friday, which is crazy to think. Uh, let's welcome in our other co-host for today, and that would be Claire Buchanan. Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. While others are getting started on their weekend on Fridays, my week is just getting started. Uh, my my work schedule starts on Thursdays and a little bit on Wednesdays. So um, my days off are Mondays and Tuesdays. So I am just unraveling the day on Friday. It's one of my busiest days of the week, but one of the most fun because I get to uh, end the evening with uh, you guys in the neutral zone. Yes, always a good time. I'm with you. My the The back half of my week seems to be the thing where it's like, wow, I'm busy. I mean, I, I take, uh, you know, Saturday, Sunday off, but then I, I'm back at it for a little bit on Monday, take Tuesday off, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're just uh, hard hitting on the next episode of the Neutral Zone. It's always fun uh, and good time, and we enjoy bringing you such quality content and good conversation, and t- today is no different. Let's start with our headlines. Congratulations goes out to the Wheelchair Basketball Canada's men's and women's program as both teams came home from the America's Cup with uh, some hardware. The men won the bronze medal game with a 58-46 victory over Brazil. And on the women's side, they were victorious over their arch rivals, the United States, with a 76-68 final score. The event took place in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And this, I hope that they can carry the momentum right into uh, the Commonwealth Games, which uh, the national teams for both the men's and women's teams uh, just got released. So congratulations to them and good luck in their uh, next tournament. I second those congratulations and we got to send out another congratulations however this time it is to our arch rivals our neighbors to the united states as the women's soccer program uh recently qualified for the 2024 olympic games after defeating canada in a controversial one nil Concacaf champion championship game canada will now take on third place finisher from this event jamaica in a series which will take place in september where the winner will qualify for the 2024 games listen uh i wasn't able to see the game because it was on one soccer i watched the highlights and yet again the referee inserted themselves yeah it could have been a foul it's sure but i think at times you need to let the game speak for itself and when you call a foul in the 77th minute or so 
that puts your stamp on the game, and I don't like it. But I will finish this by saying congratulations to the United States for getting it done and qualifying for the games. Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals won the 2022 Major League Baseball Home Run Derby this week with a 1918 victory over young Seattle Mariner Julio Rodriguez. During the competition, Soto hit a total of 53 home runs throughout the entire competition. I don't know about either of you, but I do believe that baseball is one of the few sports that actually gets their all-star festivities right. There's just something amazing about watching a home run derby, and this was the first time that the two finalists were both under the age of 23 years old. It was an amazing competition. Uh, it was such such a nail-biter in the final round. It was amazing. It absolutely was, and it, it'll be exciting to see if uh, the uh, All-Star game comes to Toronto here in a few years. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick wins the 122nd 122nd U.S. Open. He becomes the 13th player to win both the U.S. Open and U.S. Amateur. And just the second along, Jack Nicklaus, Pebble Beach to accomplish the feat at the same venue. Those are your headlines for this week. Let's uh, check in on our Twitter poll questions. With the Toronto Blue Jays struggling, as we put out this Twitter poll, uh, what did we believe was their biggest need at the time? 75% of you said pitching, 25% of you said new manager, and nobody said position player. This week's question is, did you watch the All-Star festivities in the MLB? And your choices are the All-Star game, the Home Run Derby, all of it or none of it, and you can cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out in a bit on the program. Coming up next, we're going to hear a conversation that Cameron and I had with rugby player Zach Modell coming off of a second-place finish at the Canada Cup. Stay tuned for that conversation and much, much more here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio. We'll be back. Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, alongside Cam Jenkins. Our guest today is Zach Modell, who is coming off of a second-place performance at the Canada Cup wheelchair rugby event in Richmond, B.C., and he joins us now from Okotoks, Alberta. Zach, welcome back to the program. Nice to have you. Thank you guys for having me again. So, Zach, um, as was just mentioned, the event took place in Richmond, B.C., can you maybe talk a little bit about what it's like competing in Canada and how that compares to events around the world? Uh, compared to recent events, it was just uh, nice having some spectators. We probably had a couple hundred uh, bums in seats at the uh, at the Richmond Oval there, and that's not like any other tournaments we've had in recent years, obviously, due to COVID times. Even Paralympics, they had a very limited number of uh, bodies in the uh, in the venue so just being able to play in front of fans is great and the fact that the fans were cheering for us made it that much more sweet absolutely i totally know what it's like to compete at home and it's it's definitely fun uh can you talk a little bit about the fact that you guys started with an undefeated round robin what contributed to your team's success in the round robin uh, it seemed like the chemistry was just on that tournament. I don't know what it was that made a difference, but everybody seemed to be uh, gelling well together. I think we executed our game plan and our team style of play as well as I've ever seen it happen before. So props to everybody for really coming together to work towards that common goal. And uh, obviously to the, the coaching staff as well for having a solid game plan in place for us. So the format for the tournament um, was a straightforward round robin, and then the top two teams played for gold, and then it was three versus four that played for bronze. 
Um, is this the format that you like, or is there another like format that you wish it to be played? Uh, I don't know that I have a preference. This is a bit of an unusual format for us. Typically, we'll have two pools of teams and then go into some sort of playoff, uh, whether that's quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Uh, in this tournament, we were actually going to have an extra team there. So I think it was going to be a six-team round robin with the finals and uh, bronze medal match, obviously, which makes for a lot of rugby games in three days. So uh, I think as far as like tournament management goes, when you're in that short of a, a time span, having fewer games would be preferred. Like at the major competitions, usually we only have one game a day rather than two games every day throughout the tournament we're joined by zach Madell, who is a rugby athlete and he's here today talking to us about the canada cup event that just took place in british columbia and of course you're listening to the neutral zone right here on ami audio i'm your host brock richardson alongside cam jenkins so as it turns out zach uh, you played japan in the final game of the round robin uh, which was a victory of for canada and then your team turned around and played them again in the gold medal game. Can you maybe chat a little bit about those two games against Japan? Yeah, so the first game, I think, was a bit of a uh, a sneak peek at what was going to happen in the final. Regardless of who won, it was going to be us and Japan in the gold medal game. So there wasn't too much weighing on it. I feel like both teams were able to uh, try a couple different strategies and lineups to see what worked. And then uh, Japan had a surprisingly uncharacteristic start that game in the uh, the pool play match where we were up on them, I think, four or five points after the first quarter. And usually Japan's a, quite, a, quite a clean team when it comes to taking care of the ball, and they were making some uncharacteristic mistakes. But obviously they, uh, they came out a little more focused in that gold medal match, and it's one of the best rugby games that I've played in, let alone seen in a very long time. And the fact that it was a a one-point game in overtime with a couple of uh, nail-biting last-minute plays, I think, uh, really added to the excitement. Yeah, it was a very good good game to watch, for sure. I watched uh, both of those games. And as you say, Japan is uh, quite a clean team. But you guys guys were right there with them all throughout. And I I think they made quite the uh, defensive uh, stand in the... uh, Gold medal, gold medal game there towards the end that really tipped over the scales there for sure. How challenging is it, Zach, when you play a format like this and you play one team one day and then you turn around and you play them the very next game, um, the very next day? How challenging is it to you know switch up your tactics and kind of not show all your cards to a team like that so that there is something? hidden if you will for the gold medal match honestly i don't know that we made any major adjustments obviously there's not time to uh, to reinvent the wheel and come up with a totally different game plan but from that first game we can collect some data and see which one of our lineups match up well against which ones of their lineups and uh obviously we can uh review the video from the first game to kind of pick up on some of the team's tendencies and maybe some things we can take advantage of so overall, um, and I think I already know the answer to this, but would you say that you and your team are satisfied uh, with that event? Some parts of it, yes. Obviously, the first five games, uh, I think we were very happy with how the team played. And I don't know that we played poorly in that final match by any means. I mean, Japan were the world champions in 2018. So they're, uh, they're no pushovers by any means. They were the bronze medalists at the 2020 Tokyo Paralympics. So the fact that we're able to, uh, to roll with teams of that caliber, I think shows us where we're at. And we're pretty happy with where we're at in this tournament with still a few months to, uh, to make those last minute tune-ups before our world championships coming up in Denmark in October. If you look at your team as a whole um what would you say one thing would be you can even give me a couple that's fine too but what would you say at least one thing would be that that you guys learned from this tournament about your team moving into those world championships in october 
I think this tournament was uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster for us, and it showed how resilient we are as a team overall and our ability to kind of manage distractions outside of sport. Uh, we had one of our athletes get classed out of the sport, so he's no longer eligible to play. So obviously that impacted some of our lineups. We had multiple COVID scares and had a couple athletes that were quarantining throughout the tournament. So we were playing with a limited roster as well. I think we only had 10 players on the bench when we were usually allowed 12 and expecting 12. So the fact that we were able to overcome some of these obstacles, hiccups, whatever you want to call them, and still perform at the level that we did and not let that affect the way that we played, I think really shows uh, our team's ability to come together even during those times of adversity. Of course. And can you talk a little bit about uh, what's next for your team and maybe tell us a little bit of the training schedule and what you're looking forward to going into Denmark in October? Yeah, so we have coming up next month uh, the World Games, which is the first world championships for low-point wheelchair rugby, so players class from 0.5 to 1.5 compete. And then after that, the rest of our team is flying down to Alabama to have a Tri-Nation tournament. Uh, That'll be a couple weeks from now, I guess, coming up quick. Uh, And then we will have another set of exhibitions, a Quad-Nation tournament in Denmark in September, I believe. Uh, And then a couple training camps thrown into the mix. But October is coming up quick, so we don't have a lot on the, uh, the agenda, really, between now and World Championships. Can you kind of run through, because uh, in rugby, as we've discussed in this program, you're talking about a lot of uh, athletes with uh, spinal cord injuries and things like that. Can you give us an idea as to what the training schedule is like at a training camp, just to kind of give us a little bit of a sneak peek as to what, what we see at a training camp versus, say, a competition? Yeah, so typically we get together at least once a month usually for a tournament and or training camp. And so if it's just a training camp, usually we'll have anywhere from probably six to 10 days on court, uh, usually one or two sessions a day. We try and balance it out. So obviously we're not beating up the team too much and everyone's staying rested. Uh, Sometimes we'll throw some lifting sessions in the weight room in the mix just to make sure we're maintaining uh, the gains we've made back home with training. We're not losing any of those uh, those benefits. Uh, but yeah, usually on court every day, lots of uh, quality time with the team doing some some video meeting. And uh, obviously, we don't want to give away all of our secrets, but that's a, that's a little bit of what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach, uh, I know that you've been on the team for, you know, quite a while now. Um, are you also kind of, because uh, a lot of players are like a second coach. So uh, do you see yourself as kind of a, a coach to some maybe of the younger guys on the team? And, um, you know, who knows when you're going to retire, but do you see yourself maybe as a coach moving forward? I don't know that I see myself as a coach right now. Obviously, I don't want to step on any toes or uh, overreach anything, but uh, I definitely see myself as more of a leader these days where obviously if I can, uh, if I see something on the court with some of the younger guys and I can give them some feedback, I I'd like to uh, obviously help the whole team get better. And that's the best way to do it is by everyone working together. As far as becoming a coach goes, that's not really something that's on my mind at this point. Obviously I'm still happy to be playing rugby for the time being and haven't thought that far ahead, but uh, I guess only time will tell. Yeah. It's, it's tough as an athlete, you know, it's almost right away as soon as you retire, people are coming to you, you know, being a, being a former Paralympian myself, it's, people are coming to you right away being like, hey, come coach, and it's like, but I just want to take some time, and especially still as an athlete, it's hard to, you know, to kind of see yourself, you know, moving forward, but it's it's something that creeps in the closer you get to that retirement of what is next. I do want to I do want to ask you, though, how important does the coaching staff that you guys have view team bonding, team building activities? And can you talk a little bit about that? I think over the last few years since we brought in the new coaching staff in 2017-ish, we've seen a large change, huge change in our culture. 
And uh, this is some of the best team chemistry camaraderie that I've seen with a group in a very long time. I mean, there's no really clashing personalities. And if they do, we're able to, uh, to manage things in a, in a much more respectful way than I've seen in, a, in other environments, other sports and things. So I think the team's done a good job of making sure that we are all on the same page when it comes to on-the-court activities, off-the-court activities, uh, trying to do things as a group, even when we're not playing rugby. We've, we had group chats to stay in touch throughout COVID so that obviously we're not feeling like we're too alone when it comes to training, giving everybody updates on what you did that day, uh, kind of motivating each other to be training, keep each other accountable. I love that. I uh, really do. Team building is always some of the most uh, fun uh, but healthy trouble that you can get up to. Um, and who knows what coaching staffs will throw at you for uh, team building things. <laughs> Zach, I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, thanks so much for joining us on the program. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again uh, post-World Championships in Denmark. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. That was Zach Medell joining us to chat about the Rugby Canada Cup. Coming up next is the second half of the Neutral Zone. Stay tuned for more sports conversation next year on the Neutral Zone. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, alongside Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. And the truth is that sports is an ever-evolving thing. And sometimes you have certain plans to do one thing. And then things happen in the news where you just feel like you need to talk about it. And today, that is the case. There is a lot of information about to come at you. We will do this as slowly and as concise and as accurately as we can with lots of discussion embedded throughout. So, in April, a girl came forth by the name of EM as listed on the court documents, claiming she was sexually assaulted by eight Hockey Canada players in a hotel room following Hockey Canada Foundation gala and golf event in London, Ontario in 2018. The players are listed as John Doe 1 through 8 in the court documents. These allegations were not proven in court. The plaintiff, EM, asked the court for a total of $14.5 million. Now, this is broken up into different categories, we do not know how much she settled for outside of court, but we do know that she did settle for it. All of the players deny any um, participation in any of these allegations. And again, I repeat, none of this has been proven. Before we get into what's come out this week, I'd like to get some thoughts from both of you just on what I just uh, read out and your thoughts. Claire, let's start with you and then go over to Josh. Uh, it's, it's definitely a whirlwind, um, just from everything that's coming out and continuing to come out, uh, more information about another event and another case came out today. And, uh, being someone who, uh, dons the hockey Canada Jersey as a woman, 
with the sledge hockey team, we, we have a great relationship with Hockey Canada and it's, it's unfortunate to see these kind of things come out. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we've, we have experienced uh, the ways in which hockey culture uh, kind of lacks and, and it's, it's going to be a good thing in the end when uh, things that needed to change and, and the culture and, and the ways in which um, situations are handled uh, do change and, and do get better. And it's, it, it starts with conversations like this that we're having. Uh, when the information comes out, we, we collectively share our thoughts and, and talk about ways in which we can uh, be better moving forward. And, and I really hope that at the foundation of it, that that's where Hockey Canada's mindset is. And, and not only Hockey Canada, but uh, the young hockey players and, and the current hockey players that are playing the game right now that that truly take the time to uh take a look at themselves and 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 be aware of what's going on in the hockey world and and in the locker rooms and outside of the locker rooms and and have those conversations of of how they can move forward and and be better uh individuals not only on the ice but be better individuals off the ice too This whole thing has has really unfortunately shocked me more than it probably should. Um, let me be clear. Sexual assault is not okay in any way, shape, or form. Neither is discrimination of any kind. But to, to hear some of the things that have come out in regards to this case and how quickly it was settled and covered over presumably covered up is is just really really shocking and i really thought that we were further evolved than this but clearly there's still a lot of work to do and i hope that discussions like this and investigations that have taken place that were already out in the news help us to to further those conversations and make it clear that this kind of thing is never acceptable. It, I there. think the saddest thing for me is that this young woman was not even comfortable coming forward with her name. She, she had to have her name covered or disguised because of presumably a stigma that could be attached to all of this. And that's not right either. I hope that we we learn from this, that Hockey Canada creates robust uh, policies and procedures to keep this from happening again in the future. And we're going to talk about some of the things that have come to light, which I just kind of shake my head. I, I don't even really know what to say. Yes, this is uh, something that's been in the media for a while. I think what's troubling to me, uh, let me change that. What is troubling to me is how quickly this was solved. We started hearing about this in April. Allegedly, uh, Hockey Canada started hearing about this in late March. Um, and it was settled with the plaintiff in a matter of 90 days. And that's a little bit... Um, disturbing because it almost feels like it was a shh, shh, push this under the rug we'll just we'll just you know pay this off and we'll move forward and and I, I i don't like it i don't like some of the things that i'm about to read to you following this there has been another team uh world junior team that was named uh in another uh, lawsuit uh, as well with Hockey Canada. And then we hear about gymnastics in Canada, you know, signing a open letter, you know, stopping coaches abuse. Uh, and, and I said to the crew, you know, um, beforehand, once one person opens the door, everyone else seems to feel, okay, now that it's out here in this light, now I feel comfortable to walk out and say my piece well, this is a very, very um, 
disturbing situation. And uh, Jeff, before I uh, go on a little bit here, you and I had an offline uh, conversation related to this and your comments related to what Hockey Canada needs and should do were very strong and I'd like you to share them to our listeners and our audience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's there's no doubt that there is corruption going on within Hockey Canada, people trying to cover things up when things shouldn't be covered up. Um, and quite frankly, have dropped the ball on numerous things over the past few years, especially with the Black Lives Matter. That's one of the things that comes to my mind. I feel like they haven't done nearly enough. I, they say they do, but they don't. The same can be said for the NHL. Um, and then this is starting to come to light in, in such a horrible situation. It's the same people over and over again within Hockey Canada who are able to run this organization. The only way this is, this is going to stop and things are going to change is if Hockey Canada just completely dissolves from the top down. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's going to take a long time for people to earn their respect back if there was any respect to begin with. Um, so I think that it, it would totally make sense for a reform and for basically everybody. Uh, you know, you know, I guess I'm calling out Hockey Canada. And, and quite frankly, I, I think it's needed. Um, same can be said for a bunch of different people of power in various posi positions, not only in sports, but a across, um, you know, various different platforms uh, as well. So, yeah, but for Hockey Canada, I think, you know, you, you got to build from the ground up again. Then we had two uh, scenarios of uh, very much contradicting each other. Uh, Hockey Canada leadership following revelations of the organization having a fund with sexual abuse claims and that every athlete would uh, contribute $23.80 to be collected from each of its roughly 600,000 players who uh, sign up every year. This fund apparently had a close to $15 million in it. And then, when we heard about that on Monday, Hockey Canada comes out with a statement before the business day ends on Monday and says, oh, no, we will no longer use this fund to settle sexual assault claims. I was watching another uh, program, which is not sports-related, and about five of those people uh, acknowledged on that program that they knew that this this uh, money was being allocated exactly for this. Um, I, I, t to me, Claire, it just... I don't know if I believe anything that's coming out of Hockey Canada's mouth. You know, they admit, yeah, we're taking this money to do this, which in my mind is the reason why they were able to settle it in three months. And then they turn around within the same business day and say, no, no, never mind. We're not going to do that again. Pretend like we never said anything. Oh, absolutely. They, it's, I mean, this is what happens when someone gets uh, caught, you know what I mean? And they are, it, it's coming to face that they, uh, what they've been doing is wrong. And, and they are trying to kind of get away with it as cleanly as possible, which is impossible here. And I, I absolutely agree that Hockey Canada needs a dismantle from the top down because the culture itself is a trickle-down effect from how the organization handles situations like this. And they aren't doing enough to make sure that there isn't racism in hockey and that women in hockey are being treated with respect. They are not making sure that um, people are being educated properly. They aren't putting the money where it should be to teaching coaches how to teach their athletes how to respect each other and how to use proper language um, when referring to uh, minority groups within hockey. And they're putting their money and their energy into, oh, we're just going to cover this up and, and no one will find out and it'll be fine. Well, it, it's kind of like unraveling a, a ball of yarn. Someone has 
pulled the string and it's, it's, it's coming undone. And at the end of the day, it's, I think the best uh, outcome of this is uh, a full reform of Hockey Canada. And I think it's obvious that when and if there is a dismantle of kind of the top heads at Hockey Canada, that, that they do involve uh, women's voices and, and minority groups' voices, because that's what we need uh, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And, and when you look at the front office of, of Hockey Canada, uh, you don't see very, uh, a very diverse uh, office. So um, I hope that this takes the time that it needs to take to uh, change, change the ways in which hockey culture is looked at properly. And it's, it's, I commend all of the women and, and all of the people who are coming forward to kind of share their voice and their experiences, because uh, this, this needs to change. It absolutely needs to change. Um, I mean, the, the, the idea of essentially a slush fund to cover off these these allegations is shocking if you go back to when the leaders of hockey canada had to appear before the house of commons and you heard them almost nonchalantly say oh yeah there's there's usually one to two i believe it was one to two uh, complaints like this every year that we just handle what? what one or two a year that's that's too many that's that's way too many when we put children and youth into hockey we expect them to learn values like teamwork and fair play and how to treat one another and if if the people running the show aren't doing that then then what are we even teaching kids it's just, I, I totally agree with Claire. We need a diverse background of voices. We need people to feel safe and to feel comfortable playing our sport. This, this, this just has to stop. We're in 2022. The world needs to evolve. 100% agree with both of you. Uh, I was I was puzzled hearing that uh, there was, and I like the words you used, Josh, of saying it, it's a slush fund. I, I wasn't so much puzzled at the fact that there was one. Rather, the reaction of people, you know, when you hear, oh yeah, we knew about this. I, I it, It's almost like People just pay their fees and say, oh, yeah, that's that's just in case. That will never happen here. That will never happen over there. And and to me, that was the nonchalant part in addition to, oh, yeah, we have two cases a year roughly. Like, you you can't be nonchalant about something like that. And and I think to me, it just it, it baffles me that it's so easily said, well, yeah, this is this is we just use this money to do this because you know, we expect it basically. And it's like, this should never be expected on any level. Um, I, I do just want to be clear of something uh, that, that I, I it's come out as well. Uh, Hockey Canada through a third party will reopen the investigation, speaking to all parties involved. Having been through my own uh, motor vehicle accident, I would imagine that the plaintiff in this case would not be able to obtain any more funds. Rather, they're probably just looking at this more of how can we be better? Because remember, when I said off the top, none of, the, none of this has been proven in, in, in court. And all of the players are saying, I, I'm not involved. I didn't well, do anything. Well, of course anything. they are. Yeah. And so this is where they're going to they're gonna need to dig more and say, what really happened here? Because somebody's not telling the truth, whether it's the plaintiff, whether it's the players, 
some we we have to get to the bottom of it and most importantly we need to put a stop to it josh did you have anything more to add there just that the the thing that shocked me the most was a statement by someone at hockey canada who basically tried to say that hockey canada doesn't really have control of these players that they're all members of CHL teams and in essence it's the CHL team that should have been responsible and I just I was shocked by that like they are wearing your jersey they are representing you how do you not have control quote unquote over them like they were at your event yeah I just I I'm so stunned by all of this I really am Claire, I give you the floor to close us out. Um, well, I think that as as a woman in general, um, and like you said, Josh, um, it's not just Hockey Canada. It's not just the sport of hockey. It's across the board in multiple sports at multiple levels. And it it blows my mind that in 2022 that just the flat out view that people have on women is like this. It's, it's as simple as keep your hands off of women and ask for consent. Like at the end of the day, that's what it is. That's, that's what this is all about is stop using your position of power uh, to quote unquote, get what you want or, um, or show your privilege. It's, Respect women at the end of the day. That's what it is. Very well said, indeed. Um, There's no real good way to end this segment other than to say uh, we stand with everyone that's been affected by this in whatever level, whether it's coach abuse, whether it's athlete abuse, whatever it is. This needs to stop, and the people in all levels of leadership need to be accountable for the the athletes they're with and they need to make sure that everyone is as safe as possible. Signing a form that says you will not do this is clearly not enough. I've signed about 15 of them in my career that I will not do this and I hold myself accountable to that but clearly not enough people do. And so Hockey Canada, you really need to take a hard look at what's happening because you've got a world junior event that I get very scared to see what the end result of this is going to be because there are a lot of unhappy people uh, looking at hockey in Canada right now. And so this has got to be dealt with quickly, but effectively as well. And pushing it under the rug is not the right answer with that. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to delve into free agency in the NHL. There's been a lot going on. We're going to get to it as much as we can next on The Neutral Zone. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson. And we love your interaction, and especially on a preceding conversation to the one we just had, we'd love your feedback. Uh, If you don't know our Twitter handles, go back to uh, the podcast and uh, look for them. They are there. You can also reach out to us at 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. And the only thing we ask you to do is let us have your permission to play your content on the air. And we look forward to hearing it in the coming weeks. Uh, this is one of the craziest times of year um, between uh, basketball and hockey. There's just so much drama, so many people signing over here, so many people turning down contracts. Uh, just lots of craziness going on, lots of money that I will never see the light of day to, uh, <laughs> that people are passing passing up. is just like, wow, that's crazy. But 
we are going to do as much as we can with some of the uh, Canadian team uh, content. I am going to kick this party off, and I am going to give you my thoughts on uh, Johnny Goodrow going to the Columbus Blue Jackets for seven seasons, and it's $9.75 million per season. I think this is the one that kind of surprised me the most. I'm not necessarily surprised that he wanted to test the free agent market. I'm just surprised where he went. Yes, it is closer to home. I grant you all of that. Um, I just, it's it's puzzling to me. Um, and again, the thing that I will say to Calgary Flame, Flames fans, as they lose two of their players in a matter of days, people have the right to exercise their, you know, ability to go to free agency. And in the moment, sometimes when you hear from athletes, uh, such as Johnny Goodrow that said, coming back to Calgary just wasn't best for me at this time, I think you have to recognize too that he is put under the spotlight as well and has to come up with what is a succinct answer? And when he was on Tim and Friends following this, he did say, I loved Calgary. I'm going to do something special. But in the heat of the moment, sometimes you say things that don't come out the way you want them to. And so that's my uh, take on Johnny Goodrow. I think it's a big loss for the Calgary Flames. Um, but best of luck to him in uh, Columbus. And uh, let's see, Josh, why don't we go to you for your thoughts on a couple of players in free agency? Well, I think uh, in addition to the Goudreau contract, you've got Matthew Kachuk, who's uh, not a free agent currently, but certainly appears as though uh, he is on his way out the door as well. So it will be interesting to see what happens there. But I think for me, the some of the more interesting ones were Evander Kane to the Oilers for four years and $20.5 million per season. And Claude Giroux going to the Ottawa Senators, along with goaltender Cam Talbot also going to Ottawa. Uh, those those three really caught my eye. I think Kane saw the writing on the wall and realized he had a pretty good thing going in Edmonton, so why not stay? Because you get to play with the best player in the world. And then I understand Giroux has some ties to the Ottawa area, so I suppose that makes sense. But between him and Talbot, I think Ottawa just got a whole lot stronger. Agreed. I absolutely agree with you, Josh. Um, I don't think anyone saw Ottawa coming out of this um, benefiting as much as they they did. And uh as someone who is a fan of Evander Kane, he, yes, he's had quite the hiccups in the past um, with his off ice activities, but um, he is undoubtedly a, a contributor um, both in the regular season and clearly in the playoffs as well. And, and like you said, he gets to learn and play uh, right there with one of the best or if not the best uh, hockey player in the world right now. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what uh, the Canadian teams can do this upcoming season and uh, see if, if at the end of the day, if Toronto uh, will be in the same spot uh, come free agency next year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I saw a meme that came out that had the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf logo embedded in the Edmonton Oilers logo, and that's because uh, they're bolstering their team with uh, with some Toronto Maple Leafs, including one Jack Campbell. This signing I like. If you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, I think that you know Mike Smith. God love him. You know what he was able <laughs> to bring that team to was great, was wonderful, but you cannot rely on a mid-30s guy to get you to the promised land. That's not a not a thing. Jack Campbell, you would want to see as a guy who... You want to see him in the beginning of the season with 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. He kind of started to fall off the train a little bit towards the end. And But I, again, Edmonton needed a goalie. And to me, that was good. Uh, Josh, quick thoughts on Jack Campbell, if you would. I like the signing for Edmonton. I am really surprised that Jack didn't choose to stay in Toronto, but I think if you listen to the news that was kind of swirling at the time, I believe Toronto made him an offer mid-season and it was not a very competitive offer from what I heard. And I think he got upset by that and decided that, okay, these my teammates want me, but management doesn't. So I'm going to go somewhere else. And Edmondson, I think if you get a good Jack Campbell, you're getting a heck of a goalie. I agree with you 100%. Claire, can you give me like 10 seconds of thoughts? I am going to miss Jack Campbell's interviews. I know we're still going to be able to see them, but man, that guy is so good in front of the camera. I hope he has a great time. Uh, with his new team. Couldn't agree with you more. When you have a team surrounding you like you do, Edmonton has got to get over the edge at some point and host, hoist that Stanley Cup. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Jeff Ryman. I'd also like to thank our audio technical supervisor, Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Be well.